Hello everyone, today I am beyond thrilled to be bringing you a chat with my very dear friend Melissa Ambrosini and it's a very very special occasion. We're celebrating the launch of her brand new book, Mastering Your Meme Girl, and I'm super excited to be having this chat. So I'm going to go out on a limb and say that you've probably come across her work already, but if by some chance you haven't, let me introduce you before we dive in. Melissa is an author, a motivational speaker, a self-love teacher, and as a dear friend, I can tell you she is also one of the kindest and most generous women I know. So welcome, honey. Thank you for being here. Thank you, darling. I am so excited. Not only do I just love you so much, I, you know I love your message and your mission and everything that you're doing. So I'm beyond grateful to be able to have this time with you. Oh, it's a pleasure. I'm so excited to share this with my audience, who I know also adore you. And can I just take this opportunity to say a huge public congrats on this beautiful book. Not only is it full of so much wisdom, but it is stunning. It Isn't really, it? It is gorgeous. <laughs> my goodness. It's just one of those books that you'd put on your bedside table or on your coffee table and flip to whenever you need a little bit of inspiration. So hooray for you. Congrats. Thank you, beautiful. It means a lot. <laughs> My pleasure. Okay, so I know that this book is the result of many, many years of self-acceptance work for you and a lot of deep healing. So I want to start at the very beginning of the journey. So obviously these days, you know, you are just the embodiment of living a life of love and a life where love leads the way, but that wasn't always the case. So let's go back in time a little bit. Can you start with a bit on your story? Yeah, absolutely. So about five and a half, six years ago, I hit rock bottom where my entire life path changed. Mm -hmm. Before this incident where I ended up in hospital, I was a professional dancer. I danced at the Moulin Rouge in Paris and I um, was an actress and TV presenter and loved being on stage, loved performing and loved that feeling of being free and totally in the moment when I was on, on stage. But toward the last couple of years of that career, I was ignoring many, many warning signs to stop and slow down. Mm -hmm. I was living a life that wasn't true to me. I was partying and drinking and, you know, not nourishing my body. I was surrounding myself with not so inspiring relationships. I had no idea how to nourish myself. I thought a Starbucks grande mocha frappuccino was healthy um, because it had skim milk. I had right. absolutely no. <laughs> We've all been there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had no idea. You know, I wasn't sleeping. I was, you know, getting four hours sleep a night and just, you know, it was work harder, work faster, make more money. They were my mantras. Mm -hmm. And it always felt really out of alignment and it took me a really heavy wake-up call where I ended up in hospital with a whole host of health issues from adrenal fatigue, thyroid issues, autoimmune issues. I had, um, you know, like it was coming out of my body. I was having eczema and acne all over my skin. I had high levels of mercury. I had candida and SIBO and hives and all this, these different things. It was just an awful experience. But the last straw for me was I got the cold sore virus and I'd never had a cold sore before in my life. And 
because my immune system was so run down, the severity of the virus just sent me straight to hospital. Like my entire immune system shut down and I had cold sores all over my face, in my mouth and down my throat. And I share this story in my book, but um, it was such a pivotal moment for me because the universe is like the universe is like, right, if you're not going to stop, we're going to make you stop. And we're going to take away the thing that you need to work, which is your vessel, your, your vehicle. And we're going to take that away from you until you stop and learn. And I didn't realize this at the time. At the time, I was like, why is this happening to me? But looking back, it was such a pivotal moment for me. And when I was in hospital, even though I was dealing with depression and eating issues, and it was the darkest time in my life, there was this tiny, tiny, like I'm talking at the top of a pin hair, tiny glimmer of hope. And it was almost like I could finally surrender in that hospital bed. No more trying to be anything else, anyone else, no more struggling or forcing. It was like I could finally exhale. And a dear friend at the time Uh, sent me Louise Hayes, You Can Heal Your Life when I was in hospital. And I'd never really dove into spirituality or self-help before. And I started reading this book and it just light bulb went off. It was like, OMG. Okay, I have no idea what this Louise Hay character is talking about, about self-love. I had no idea what it was, but I knew I didn't have any. And I knew I needed to start working on it. Mm -hmm. And It was like reading that book was coming home. I was like, oh, okay, I get it, I get it. But that doesn't mean it was rainbows, unicorns and butterflies from there because it absolutely wasn't. That was when the work started. And from there, I felt a gigantic pull toward spiritual texts and self-development work of Deepak Chopra, Eckhart Tolle, Marianne Williamson, Louise Hay, all of these beautiful teachers that we have access to. And I dove headfirst into their teachings. And from there, I went and studied holistic health and life coaching, yoga teacher training and energy healing and meditation. And I just completely immersed myself in that world and was so deeply committed to working on myself that I just kept on doing it. And the reason why I kept following following it was because it started to feel good in my body. Like I didn't know why meditation and yoga started to feel good, but it just did. So I kept on following it. And then I started a blog and started sharing my experience and what I was learning and growing through and started coaching one-on-one with clients. And I launched my first ebook, 12 Steps to Wellness. And it all just organically grew and snowballed from there. And, you know, that was going on six years ago now. And it's been such a beautiful organic journey of just continuing to follow that charm. Mm. what an incredible ride (laughs) and you know now we can say thank goodness that happened um, because now you know we get the benefit of this beautiful wisdom that has come out of this journey 
even though at the time it was absolutely horrible and you were sitting in the hospital going, what the hell is going on for me right now? And just speaking of the hospital, when you were saying, it gave me goosebumps to hear you talk about that tiny, tiny, tiny little glimmer of hope that you had, because Mm -hmm. I think those are the moments. And even if the awareness wasn't there yet, because you hadn't started to explore spirituality and self-development, but that was the moment where your soul was speaking to you rather than the ego or the small self your soul was going hang on a minute there's more you know there's more to life than this and we're just going to shift things around a little bit we're going to throw it up in turmoil so that you do go on this journey and you start to learn that you can live from love versus you know external validation and seeking and striving and the fear-based living that was happening at that time for you absolutely I love it I love it I love it so one of my favorite things about your message actually just speaking about ego is that firstly ego is not a dirty word nor is it a part of ourselves that we have to obliterate or smash or kill or whatever Mm. word you want to uh, insert there it's actually something that we can really learn to live in harmony with and that's what mastering your mean girl is all about if I'm correct Exactly. Yeah. So so talk to us a little bit about that. Can you share your definition of, of the mean girl and just a bit on your approach here? Yeah, absolutely. So the mean girl, like you were saying before, you can call it the smaller self, the ego, the inner critic, um, the voice, mm-hmm. Alfred, whatever you want to call it. It doesn't really matter. But for me, the mean girl, it just resonates. I don't know why it really resonates because I can feel it. I can see her. I can taste her. I can, you know, I can really see her and feel her. And characterizing her as that little mean girl really helped me learn the art of mastering her. And like you would learn how to mastering master playing the piano, it's the same thing. And you're right, it's not about killing the ego, smashing her or, you know, killing her off. It's yeah. about learning how to master her, using her as a compass to come back to your truth and to get back on your path. That is what she's there for. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, some people, one person actually came up to me and said, oh my God, you know, your idea of mastering your mean girl is just amazing. Um, I've been trying to banish mine for years now. And the way she said, I said, I said, whoa, 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 whoa. I never said anything about banishing. I've never said anything about banishing. We're talking about like you would learn how to master the art of anything, like mastering playing the piano or a language. It's the same as, you know, mastering your mean girl. So for me, I believe you have two choices in life. You can do things from fear or you can do them from love. And learning how to master your mean girl is about letting go of the fear and coming back into your truth, which is love. I believe every single person has the ability to do that. We've just let our mean girl run the show for a little bit, little too long. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think the first step there is is the awareness, because when the mean girl has been running the show, often it's just normal. That's that it's the whole discomfort zone. That's what we're used to. Um, and so I think yeah, bringing awareness to that is is going to be the first step. But if we get practical and I know that you've got lots of of practical tools 
in your book, which I am going to give some details on a bit later on. But getting practical, if someone listening right now is in the throes of an attack from their mean girl, so if they have had a situation unfold in their life, or even if they're listening to this and, and thinking, you know, I could never be here doing this type of thing, what are the steps for them to start to return to that place of peace and to shift, as you say, from from fear to love? I've got a really great simple three-step process Um, but I just wanted before I dive into that I just wanted to touch on what you said before it is normal to choose fear but that doesn't mean it's natural right our natural state is love it's absolutely love and but because we have let her run the show for so long, it can sometimes feel very, very natural to live from a place of fear. I mean, I lived from fear for many, many years and it was definitely my default setting, but it's not, um, it's not natural. Like if you, you know, love is natural, love is our birthright. So I just wanted to mention that because um, I love that you brought that up. But I have a, gr- a really great, simple little three-step process that you can start today, right now, to master your mean girl. Obviously, reading the book is a major part of that. But the first thing, like you said it before, Rach, is awareness. Once you are aware of the things that she says, you they are no longer dark. You have shone light on them and you can now see and you can't unknow what you already know. So once you are aware of the common things that she says and when she pops up and if you all you have to do is tune in and you'll you'll hear them and you'll know and maybe you have a couple like maybe two or three really common ones that sting the most. Mm-hmm. Bring your awareness to that. Shine light on them. They're no longer dark. The second step is gently closing the door on her. So when it's not about slamming the door in her face, it's once you are aware of the thought when it pops up that I'm not good enough or I'm not worthy of living my dreams or I'm not smart enough to start my own business or no one's going to read my blog, whatever it is, once you are aware of that thought, from your mango, you have a choice. You can gently close the door on her, say thank you, but no thank you. Or you can invite her in and you can let her hang around for two days, two weeks or two years. It's up to you how long you want to suffer for. And then the third step is choosing love instead. So you're aware of the thought when it pops up. In that moment, you can gently close the door on her and then slide on back down into your heart instead. Oh, I love that. I love that. So just just to get really nitty gritty here, choosing love, you know, what what is that? What would that look like? What types of, you know, is that an affirmation? Is that choosing to do the opposite of what the fear is telling you? What, you know, what types of things could people do there? For me... Choosing love is following that feeling. Mm -hmm. So I feel, I believe that some, some people think that we have 50 different head voices in our head, you know, they're like, but I don't know if I should do that. That voice is telling me to do that. And then that voice is telling me to do that. And that voice is telling me to do that. You only have one and it's your ego. It's your mingo. Your truth, love, essence in your heart doesn't necessarily speak to you in words, 
more so a feeling. It's like, you know, when someone says, I don't know if you've ever had an experience like this, Rach, where someone's like, well, why did you book a flight to Bali? And you're like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I just... I just had to, like, I just, something was just pulling at me. I just had to do it. I just had to do it. And words, you can't even find the words of why. It's more that pull, that feeling, that intuition. So for me, choosing love is about following that feeling, that deep knowingness that we all have within us that sometimes we just bury with mean girl chatter on top. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that you've touched on intuition. And I think, you know, the thing, and it comes up a lot for me too, people are often asking clients and and readers and people who consume my work in in whatever way will say, how do I start to tune in to my intuition? I have so much chatter going on up here. And, you know, that is that voice. That's that mean girl voice, the conditioning, the programming, the expectations whatever it might be there's so much chatter that it's these you know people asking the question they're saying I don't know how to tune into my intuition so do you have any tips on how you personally tune in you got to get present Mm -hmm. because when we're present we can hear and feel the nudges from our intuition, not so much hear, sorry, feel the pull from our intuition. But when we are in our head, we're either in the past or we're in the future and we're hanging out with our mean girls, sipping cocktails in our head, we can't feel our intuition. So we've got to slide out of our head and come back into the present moment. That's where your intuition can really be felt and that's what we have to where we ultimately want to live from that place of presence that place of love because that's when we're in alignment with our truth yeah i think so too and um that takes courage you know this this work that that you have done so beautifully over the years is messy and it's uncomfortable and it you know to really to listen to the intuition and to act from that place, even if it doesn't make sense, it does take courage, which kind of brings me to a point, something I wanted to ask you. When I'm speaking with, working with my clients, you know, I'll often find myself saying this self-work is never done. We are always a work in progress. And I think it'll be really useful for everyone listening to hear that for you, despite being, you know, such a powerful advocate and such a beautiful teacher of the self-love message, I think it's really useful for us to hear that you are still deeply devoted to this daily practice of mastering your mingo because it is a practice. It's a a lifelong commitment. So let's go a little bit specific here, actually, because I think that will be the most interesting for us. How does your mean girl pop up uninvited when it comes to your relationships? She will tell me that I have, as you know, I have so many divine, beautiful women like yourself in my life. And she will pop up and say, you're not worthy of that friendship. Mm. And in that moment, I am aware that that's her. I gently close the door on her and I choose love instead. 
And But yeah, she does absolutely still pop up, don't get me wrong. And the work is being done daily, as you mentioned. There, You never get to a point where you're like, oh yeah, babes, I'm done, totally done. Like, <laughs> and if then it, Yeah, I'm, I'm done, I'm done. <laughs> Um, it is a daily practice, moment-to-moment -moment practice, and it's something that, you know, choosing love is something that I commit to every day. And I sometimes fall down, but I get back up a lot quicker than I used to. Uh -huh. Yeah, that's, that's a key point, isn't it? And I know this is something that you're also uh, very big on preaching, uh, is that these things will still happen. This, you know, the tough times will still arise. The voice will still be there, but it's about the speed in which you get back on the wagon again, rather than falling exactly. off and, and spiraling, which in the past, you know, may have led you to the place where you find yourself in hospital with cold sores. Exactly. Yeah. And everything else. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what? It's like, think of yourself as a six-year-old. And if you were teaching your little six-year-old self how to ride a bike and you fell off the bike and you wouldn't say, oh, get up, get up, you stupid idiot. Mm -hmm. You would walk over to that little six-year-old. You'd be like, hey, babes, jump on up. Let's give it another go and let's hop back on that bike straight away. But nowadays we kind of like fall over and we go staunching off into the corner and have a little pity party for ourselves and sometimes it takes weeks months years to get back on that bike again but for me because I have practiced this and I commit to it each day getting back up on like you said before is just quicker mm -hmm. thank you for sharing that that's that's beautiful I'm interested to know as well if the, the mean girl takes a different form or if her voice is different, the, the wording, the messaging, when it comes to something like perhaps the work you do in the world. So not we're not looking at relationships here or other people, looking more so at your business, your work. When do you notice that that voice pipes up for you then? It's definitely the same voice. Mm-hmm. I can even visualize what my main girl looks like and what she's wearing. She's basically a mini version of me. She like sits on my shoulder and she's like a mini version of me, but she's wearing a little red devil outfit. Um, and it's really funny because when I was a dancer, I did this dance called Dance with the Devil. And I wore, I have to, Rach, I have to find a photo and send it to you. You will die. Because um, I'm wearing, I'm wearing this red, like leotard with horns and I've got a pitchfork and little red knee-high boots and like you will die Rachel you will absolutely die um so she's wearing that outfit and she's always worn that outfit and she's just like a little version of me and she sits on my shoulder so I can hear her I can see her really really clearly um and I think I'm a very visual person and I think for me that's really helped uh -huh. so I don't know if if that works for you like maybe she's not you like maybe she's not and that's okay maybe she looks a bit different um maybe she's got different hair or you know different size maybe she's taller than you I don't know but for me I can see her and that really helps me identify when she's speaking. I'm like, ah, there you go again. And I can see her with a little devil pitchfork and horns. <laughs> um, 
It's so funny. I have to find that photo. But <laughs> the way she pops up now for me, I'm just trying to think of an example. The first thing that came to my head was launching my book into the world um, has I have moments of intense vulnerability hangovers, as you know, because I have called you with crying with vulnerability hangovers in the past. But for me, I feel vulnerable in moments. And what my mean girl does is latch onto that. And then she will tell me things like, you've overshared. You shouldn't have kept that story in. You shouldn't have written that. You shouldn't have done that. So when you feel an emotion, whether that is anger, vulnerability, sadness, frustration, fear, happiness, joy, um, regret, whatever that emotion is within you, your mean girl will latch onto that and attach a story to it to keep you stuck in fear. Instead of doing that, Let the emotions wash over you like a wave. So let the fear wash over you. Let the vulnerability wash over you. Let the happiness wash over you. Let the sadness wash over you. And try not to let your mean girl attach a story to it. So in those moments when I felt vulnerable, there's been times where I'm like, okay, thanks, mean girl, but no thanks. And then there's been times where I've let her really attach a story to it and then I would go to my husband and say babes I'm, I'm really not sure I should have left that story in well, like I'm feeling really vulnerable and he's like just darling go and master your mean girl and I'm like okay <laughs> <laughs> don't you love having that mirror right there <laughs> uh, you know what and when you are in a divine conscious relationship you can't hide exactly as you know you and Ramai you can't hide they will call you out on your stuff straight away and it is such a blessing because it allows you to quickly move through your stuff even though sometimes you're like but what I just want to suffer for a second (laughs) let me wallow let me wallow um you, you made a point actually earlier that I think it's really useful to reiterate is that the the ego or the mean girl can be that compass. And when it, I know personally for me, and I'm, I'm sure you're exactly the same is that when that voice is piping up, say for example, in, in the business or the work that we're doing and it's saying, you're not enough, you're not doing enough, whatever it's saying, it can be a compass to point you towards what needs a little bit more love, that inner inner child or that inner wounding that might need a little bit of love or might need to know that, hey, it's okay to take your foot off the pedal for a moment. Um, So it can be this really beautiful compass pointing you there or it can be just an illusion as well. And I think you get to know that over time you get to separate between whether it's just a bit of mumbo jumbo or whether it's actually pointing you towards something that could do with a little bit extra love to heal or to progress in some way as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's talk about your book before we wrap up because, and this is taking things 
slightly off course a bit, but I think it's really relevant because I know so many people in my audience are creatives or creators and have a dream. I can see them with their dream up there on the vision board to write a book. Um, we all love a little bit of behind the scenes action as well. So I want to ask you a little bit about the process of writing this book and if you can also share where your main girl popped up along the way, because when you pour your heart and soul into something this wonderful and this transformative, there's a, a whole journey of self-love happening there as well, I know. So if you can share that, we would love to hear. Absolutely. Uh, as you know, the first chapter is me sharing my internal dialogue with my mean girl as I st um, sat there with a blank page. You know, she was like, who do you think you are trying to write a book? Like, are you kidding me? Like, that was the dialogue. And in that moment, I was aware of it and I gently closed the door on her and I chose love instead and love was saying share this story so she did pop up at the very start then um, once I got in the flow it kind of she didn't pop up so much during the writing process um, it was more in the editing process mm. when I was rereading I was like oh no yeah no I've overshared I've definitely overshared there and over there and there and I was like oh god you know so she did pop up in that process but when I was in the flow it's just like I was just it was just pouring through mm -hmm. I didn't have time to think I was just an open vessel and the words were just flowing through me so it wasn't until the editing process that um, there was more space for me girl my main girl to jump in that she did and um, yeah, I just laugh. I think it's funny now. The things she says and when she tries to pop up, like I do have a little giggle. I'm not, I'm definitely not hard on myself like I used to be. I'm not, um, oh, you're such an idiot. That's just your mean girl beating up on your mean girl. Mm -hmm. You know, for me, it's like, I just have a little giggle now. Not always, but most of the time, like I'll share what my mean girl said with Nick and he will we'll both have a laugh. Like he's like, ha ha, how funny is that? Um, you know, we'll have literally have a little giggle. But for me, I sat down to write this book um, about a year and a half ago and I went away on a creative bender, as I call it. And I went to um, the hinterland and my husband was writing music at the same time. So he was down one end of the house writing and producing his amazing music. And I was down the other end um, writing my book and it was such a beautiful process and we completely immersed ourselves in the creative process we did nothing else like we didn't have we weren't launching any other products mm -hmm. we weren't doing anything else we barely spoke to anyone and, and we didn't see anyone because we were away so we didn't have any um, any distractions and we'd get up in the morning and we'd do our morning routine and I'd sit down and write um from like you know eight o'clock in the morning maybe seven thirty, I can't really remember um, and I'd write until lunchtime and then I would and and I would be writing um, in the sun usually in my bikini um, soaking up the beautiful essence of mother nature as I wrote which was just so powerful like if you can write in that sort of environment I highly recommend it um, and then I would break for lunch and which Nick and I would share a beautiful lunch together in the sun and um, the afternoon consisted of me reading him what I wrote that morning and getting feedback 
and then sitting back down till about um, five o'clock and then I would do a little check-in with the world, you know, from five till six. I would check a few emails and check text messages and do that sort of thing and then I had dinner and it was, you know, a bath and bed. It was a really beautiful healing um, creative space that we created and it was just so fun to immerse ourselves in it. We barely left the house. We'd leave once a week to go to the farmer's markets on a Sunday to get our produce for the week. And it was just so beautiful. Um, and then I wrote a majority of the book in the first two weeks. I wrote like the first 40,000 words in the first two weeks. And then um, I'd, I'd written the main structure. Then I left it for a little while and would, you know, play with it and restructure it. And then I wrote, I went away for another week and I did another 30,000 words. Mm. And I had to go away again. I, I mean, I, I find it a little bit difficult to write in my home in Sydney. I find I, ha I find I have to be out of this environment because... I work on my kitchen table. Um, our spare room is our little man's bedroom, so I don't have an office and I don't have a space where I can cocoon myself. Um, so it's very distracting for me here. So I had to go away again and finish the last 30,000 words. And then I really um, dove deep into the editing process and um, I worked with my editor at my publisher and they send me back their edits and then I send back mine and then they send it again and that happens twice and then they send you a final proofread where you go through um, with a, uh, a magnifying glass and you make sure every I is dotted and every T is crossed and then that is it. it it's locked and loaded. It's off to the printers. Thank you for sharing that. That's what I, I personally find that fascinating. And I know people love that backstage look of, you know, peeling back the curtain and, and seeing, okay, how did this come to life from the idea? Because so many things don't get past the idea. You know, we, we all have these dreams and often they can stall. And one point that you made that, um, that I particularly loved there was you spoke to the fact that it was the editing process that the mean girl popped up. And, and what I, the key sort of takeaway that I get from that is that the closer we get to the dream, the louder the voice mm -hmm. is going to be and to be really conscious of that. And I think you can prepare yourself and go, all right, I'm, I'm doing something that really matters to me here. I'm doing something big. Um, I'm pouring everything I've got into this. And this applies for, for everyone listening. This applies for anything that you do that does really matter to you. Um, just to sort of prep yourself that that voice is going to get loud, but you don't have to, to listen to it. You can turn it back down again. Exactly. And people often ask me, they say, you're such a confident speaker. Like you mustn't get nervous before you speak. And I speak every week. You know, I run the goddess groups every week where I'm speaking in front of 40 women. And absolutely, I feel, I feel adrenaline. Mm -hmm. I feel my palms get really sweaty. My body heats up. Um, and definitely my biochemistry changes. That is a perfect opportunity for my mean girl to pop in. But for me, I use it as a compass to go, ah, this must be important. Mm -hmm. And B, it's like, okay, 
this is an opportunity where I can really step up and master her right now and say thank you for, you know, she might say things like, oh, you're not prepared or everyone's going to laugh at you. Or, Why did you wear that skirt? You look so stupid in it. Whatever she says, mm-hmm. um, use it as a compass to go, ah, this is important and I'm going to just sit in this adrenaline running through my body and the sweaty palms and just relish in the fact that this is something that I really love to do and that it's important to me. Mm. Thank you for your commitment to that. I'm sure I speak on behalf of everyone listening. Just you are such a testament to showing up and doing that work with commitment, with love, even when it's scary, even when it's uncomfortable. And, you know, this this book is the result of that. So thank you. And let's wrap up by telling everyone where they can find it. Well, you can get it today by going to masteringyourmeangirl.com and there's a whole heap of different retailers that you can get it from, whatever one floats your boat the most. And it's an amazing little gift to give to you know, your sisters, your besties, um, for Christmas, Mm -hmm. for birthdays, whatever. Like for me, you know, don't give a toxic nail polish, give something that's going to really help them grow and evolve. And like you mentioned before, there's so many amazing exercises and little inspo actions that I have throughout the book that really help you implement everything that you've just read after each section, because I want this to really be about implementation and transformation not about just reading it and going yeah that's amazing um and then slipping back into Mm -hmm. old habits let's really implement what we've learned so i am so excited for it to be out there and um if you read it i'd love to hear your thoughts come and tell me on social media or send me an email or whatever um and give this uh to your sisters and your besties for christmas Amen. And yes, guys, I'll pop the links for Mel's website and her social media uh, below the audio. Today is just a tiny little taste of what she covers in Mastering Your Mean Girl. So please do yourself a favor, get this book in your hands, start next year on a very, very high note. It is absolutely beautiful and full of so much wisdom. Thank you, Mel. Thank you, honey. Thank you so much, beautiful girl. And I can't freaking wait to see you soon. I can't wait to see you. (laughs) I might might even wear the red devil outfit. (laughs) I'll hold you to that. (laughs) Thanks so much. Thanks, honey.